What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Kevo Bands Hoops Podcast. Man, back at it again today, Monday, June 14th. This is the beginning of a new week, man. So just take every single day and just appreciate where you're at in life, but always strive to get to your goals and your dreams and whatever things you have set out for yourself, man. I promise you, you are much closer to your goals than you will ever realize. Keep striving, keep going, keep pushing. Do not mind all the things that are gonna come in your life to try and sidetrack you. Keep focused on the one thing that you got your mind on, the biggest goal that you got your mind on, and just keep pushing to that. And also, I just wanna say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. I'm pretty sure most of you guys have probably heard that saying before, but it is so real. Nothing ever elevates when you're just chilling in your comfort zone. You got to get out of your comfort zone and spread your wings and really just try and get uncomfortable and just get comfortable being uncomfortable, man. But hopefully all you guys are doing well out there. Hopefully all you guys continue to stay safe. Of course, we are still in the middle of a pandemic, man. So please wash your hands as much as possible to keep the virus from getting on your hands and especially your face. Please wear a mask anytime you're surrounded by a large group, crowd, or gathering or in a public area or public establishment. And lastly, but certainly not least, because it is summertime. Please go outside and get some ultraviolet rays, a.k.a. sunlight on your skin, because I promise you the sun kills all viruses and the coronavirus is not excluded from that list, man. Of course, I just hope all you guys are staying safe, feeling well, feeling good, and just continue to push every single day. And of course, we are still demanding justice for Breonna Taylor. We are still demanding justice for Elijah McClain. We are still demanding justice for Jacob Blake. And we're going to continue to demand justice for anybody that has been a victim of police brutality or even worse, police murderings. It must stop. Point blank. Period. But man, the playoffs have been in full swing, of course, for the past like almost month, I believe now. We're in the semifinals of each conference. And yesterday, we had two games, two series I want to talk about. First, we had the Brooklyn Nets versus the Milwaukee Bucks, which is game four, which we'll talk about in a minute. But then the second game of the doubleheader on Sunday was between the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets, where the Suns got the sweep by a score of 125 to 118. Now, really, honestly, I don't even want to talk about the Suns team. I really just want to talk and glorify CP3. But before we do that, I actually just want to give credit to Nikola Jokic and the entire Denver Nuggets uh, team because, first of all, I picked the Portland Trailblazers to beat them because I just thought that Dame would have been too much, especially with the Nuggets not having Jamal Murray. But the Joker was special. He killed them, and the rest of the team stepped up from guys like Monte Morris and different dudes um, for them that played really well. Austin Rivers had a couple big-time games. Michael Porter Jr. was sensational for them in that first round. So I really didn't even expect them to make it to this point, but give them their credit. And I know a lot of people were kind of up in arms about the Joker getting um, ejected from the game last night after that flagrant two call for swiping down on campaign. And honestly, like, I know we don't want to see that. We don't want to see one team's best player get kicked out the game. But it sucks to say, but it, he deserved that. And I know it wasn't intentional. Like, I don't think he was trying to swing on campaign. I literally just think he was having a frustrating night and he was tired of losing. And so he just took it out on campaign and he was mad at the refs. And so it just kind of looked worse than what it was. But I wasn't really mad that it was a flagrant two call. I was kind of mad that he got ejected. But I, I completely understand why they called it that. So it is what it is. Again, salute to the Joker. He's only 26, fresh off the MVP season. He had a great year this year. He was fantastic all year round. And the Nuggets, you know, credit to Mike Malone and the whole coaching staff and the general manager and everybody from top to bottom of the Nuggets organization. They're going to be good for at least the next decade. Plus, I think Jamal Murray is also only like 24, 25. So they got plenty of room, you know, to get a championship with those two guys. Um, at the helm of their organization, man. But 
Let's talk about the victors. The Phoenix Suns, man. This dude, Chris Paul, I, I cannot even... I feel like a podcast does not give Chris Paul enough of his flowers. Like you, you just have to go and watch what he did in this series. This dude is at age 36 right now. He's in year 16. And in this past round, Western Conference semifinals versus the Denver Nuggets, he averaged 25.5 points per game and 10 assists in a sweep over Denver. And it's just beautiful to see because the way that he was doing it and just the way that he was breaking down the defenses, they were trying to throw so many different guys on him, Mike Malone, that is. They tried to put, you know, Composo on CP3 to try and get under his skin. They tried to put Aaron Gordon to give him some length to try and, you know, make him get uh, disrupted and out of rhythm. They tried to put Will Barton. And every single time, CP3 was just dominating the matchup. And to see him getting it done from the mid-range was probably the best part about it because... We all know it's this false narrative and this lazy narrative that the mid-range game is dead, that the league is only about shooting threes and getting dunks. And I'm going to tell you guys right now, the mid-range game has never left. It hasn't gone anywhere. Because if you look, all of the best scores in the NBA still use the mid-range pull-up. From Chris Paul, CJ McCollum, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Jimmy Butler, all these guys still shoot the mid-range shot. It is not a bad shot like people make it out to be. Even Devin Booker still takes the mid-range shot. It is not out of the game like people say that it is the mid-range shot is alive and well and what Chris Paul was doing navigating off screens find the open man you know throwing lobs to DeAndre Ayton it was just so many different levels to it and honestly like I I don't want to go into this too deep but like this is a bad look for the Portland Trailblazers because again without Jamal Murray the, the Nuggets just simply aren't the same squad and their defense took a hit not only not having Jamal Murray, but just because the offense isn't there, so the confidence level isn't there either. You know what I'm saying? When you're playing on high confidence, automatically you're going to be a better team. And so, you know, it is what it is between Terry Stotts and the Blazers, but yeah, they definitely should have won that series versus Denver in the first round. But but nonetheless, though, staying with the Suns, dude, you know, Chris Paul, like not even two years ago, when the Rockets traded him to OKC, most people looked at that like, okay, Chris Paul's just going to go there. And he's going to rot. You know what I'm saying? He's going to go to a situation where he's the guy, but he's also playing alongside an up-and-coming team. They're not going to do anything. They weren't even predicting to make the playoffs. I didn't have them making the playoffs. And what did they do? They made the playoffs. And not only did they make the playoffs, but they went all the way to seven games against his former team, the Houston Rockets. And they almost won had Lou Dort not had that brain fart in game seven, which is, I won't even just blame him, but still. Like, they were literally... A possession away from advancing to the Western Conference semifinals last year in the bubble. Like CP3 is a proven winner. Everywhere he goes, he gets the jobs done. Now, I won't lie. I did knock Chris Paul a long time ago for his days in LA with the Clippers just because he has so much talent around him. He has so much talent around him from Prime Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Jamal Crawford, all these guys, Lance Stevenson, Matt Barnes. He has so many different guys. Josh Smith came through. So much talent that came through the Clippers while Chris Paul was there with Doc Rivers, and they just could never get over the hump. J.J. Redick, and it was just like they struggled. Maybe just the Clippers are really cursed. Maybe it just wasn't meant for Chris Paul to get the job done in a Clippers uniform, but it was just like they had so much talent that they almost underperformed in his years there. And I know a lot of people knocking for that to this day, but forgetting all that, like Chris Paul to me is still a top five point guard all time. I know he doesn't have the hardware. He doesn't have the championship, the illustrious championship that everybody always knocks him for. But trust me, dude, like if you just watch him, it's no way that you can name 
five point guards that you sincerely believe are better than Chris Paul. Like, yes, I'll give you Magic. I'll give you maybe Steph. I'll give you a couple others, but Isaiah Thomas. But, like, we're not going to sit here and say that Chris Paul is not a top five point guard of all time. To me, he's easily the fifth greatest point guard of all time. And if he gets that ring, he might go up one to maybe two spots. Like, Chris Paul is that good, dude, from his scoring prowess to his ability to find teammates, his defense. He had a play yesterday on Will Barton where you could just tell that he watched a lot of film on Will Barton. Will Barton literally caught the ball on the left wing. He dribbled right two times, and Chris Paul cut him off, took the, the contact in his chest, and he tried to go behind the back. And CP3 knew exactly what he was trying to do. And as soon as he went behind the back, CP3 stole it or tried to steal it. And it, he deflected it off of Will Barton's hands. Michael Bridges ended up saving the ball before it went out of bounds. And Chris Paul was running down the other end of the court. You know, Michael Bridges threw it to him for an easy layup. And just like winning plays like that is why CP has always been one of the best point guards. He's easily the best point guard of his generation. Like, I don't think there's any debate in that. Ever since he came in the league in like 2005, easily you know what i'm saying like i know he had years where he was competing with darren williams and of course the pg is probably the most you know coveted position nowadays but just you know chris paul is different dude and I'm, I'm happy for him he's getting back to the western conference finals he's looking healthy we all know he had the little stinger against the lakers in round one and so hopefully i truly believe that the Suns are going to represent the Western Conference in the NBA Finals. The way that they're playing right now, the chemistry, the camaraderie, it seems like this team has been playing together for like the past five years. Like they just play so well. They connect off each other. Like, you know, Jay Crowder was a seamless fit. You know, CP can fit on any squad just because how great of a point guard that he is. Devin Booker is a proven star that's only ascending and showcasing his game at the highest level in the playoffs finally. You know, Michael Bridges is a really elite uh, 3 and D player. You know, you got Cam Johnson, who's a sniper. All these different dudes. Torrey Craig's coming off the bench and producing, who was just producing in the player for the Denver Nuggets, you know, not even a year ago. You know, it's just so many different guys. Cam Payne wasn't even in the league this time last year, and now he's doing big things. Look like he's about to play his way into another contract. It's just beautiful to see. And I want to give the most credit to the man who should have won Coach of the Year, and that's Monty Williams. Monty Williams, he does an excellent job of putting his players in the right positions to succeed. Like a lot of coaches are, you know, solid coaches. They run a lot of really good things, but I think he is one of those guys that's a player's coach that he runs things based on how good his players are. And that's what the great coaches do. They adapt to what their players and their personnel is. Some coaches just run a system for no matter who's on their roster. And yeah, to a certain extent that works, but sometimes you have to cater to your players. And Monty Williams and his staff have done an excellent job of doing that. And that's why the Phoenix Suns are rolling. You know, they beat the Lakers in six. Of course, AD was hurt, whatever. And then they go on to sweep the Nuggets. And now, I honestly like them in any matchup in the Western Conference Finals between the Jazz or the Clippers. I have that much faith in, in what they are doing and how they're playing. Like, it feels like every single game... This team is only getting better, and that's the beautiful thing about it, man. So congrats to Phoenix. Shout out to all their fans. I know this has been a long time coming. They've been through a lot of different things. They've had a lot of bad years, especially in Devin Booker's early years. So this is all much deserved. I love seeing DeAndre Ayton just, you know, becoming a big-time player at the right time. And also give Ayton a lot of credit. He did a really good job of not necessarily locking down the Joker, Nikola Jokic, but he just did a good job of making him work for everything. He didn't make anything easy for Nikola Jokic, whether it was buckets or trying to play make, he made life hard on the Joker. And I think that's why he was frustrated a little bit too, because he was just honestly struggling. And DeAndre Ayton had a was a big reason 
of that. So, you know, credit to him, man. Credit to the Suns. This is really fun to see. This team is hot. They're probably the most, you know, hot team, no pun intended, you know, in the league right now. And they're going to only look even better in the Western Conference Final Cup. I think, honestly, like, the Lakers were probably the toughest task that they had that they had in front of them. And they knocked them down. Like, this, it's as simple as that. So, you know, we're going to see who they ended up facing, you know, between the Jazz and the Clippers. But, you know, congrats to Phoenix, man. This is very much well-deserved. And it's also really beautiful for CP3 and Monty Williams and especially Devin Booker, man. But moving on. Again, yesterday we had two games. Um, The first game of the day was between the Bucks and the Nets. And, man, so I know the last time I made a podcast, I said that the Milwaukee Bucks are down bad. You know, it was after the first two games when Brooklyn just crushed them in Brooklyn. And then you had the past two games, game three and game four, you know, switch over and shift over to Milwaukee, right? And, you know, most oftentimes and not, you know, a lot of 2-0 leads aren't really, like, set in stone. But, you know, it's usually a chance for the other team to come back and make some noise, and that's what the Bucks have done. But the Nets clearly just look like the better team. And when they're fully healthy and when they're healthy, you know, with just one guy at least, they still look like the better team, you know, with two guys, I mean. And, you know, just with KD and Kyrie, they still look like the superior team in this matchup. But in game three, man, oh, man, this was an ugly game from start to finish. So both teams shot terribly. The Nets, they shot 34 of 94, which is 36% as a team. And then the Bucks didn't even shoot that much better. They shot 34 of 90, which is 37%. And I say this game was ugly because, one, the shooting was bad. Two, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they both struggled mightily in this game. And I want to give a little bit of credit to the Bucks' defense between P.J. Tucker and Drew Holiday. But honestly, in Game 3, like it was just one of those nights for Katie and Kyrie where the ball just simply wasn't going through the basket. And every great player has a game like that, at least one game in the playoffs where they're just struggling, where the ball just doesn't seem to go through the hoop and you just can't get your shot right. It's just an off night. It happens to all of the great players. So KD, he shot 11 of 28. He finished with 30 points. But again, 11 of 28 is not efficient at all. And then Kyrie, he shot 9 of 22 and finished with 22 points. So think about that. He shot 22 times and had 22 points. That's not really efficient either. So they both struggled. Again, you got to give some credit to the Bucks defense, but it was just one of those nights where both of them happened to be cold. And then the other end of it was the Bucks were taking some bad shots. So we all know that the Bucks are a really good three-point shooting team, but so far in this series as a team, they've, they've just simply not shot the ball well. That's all it has come down to. They've gotten the looks. They've gotten the opportunities. They just have not been able to capitalize on those open looks. But the thing that was really bothering me was the fact that they weren't seeing shots go down. And Giannis, who's considered to be their best player, the two-time MVP, he was shooting threes way too much. He shot one of eight from the three-point line in this game. And now, to be fair, the one three that he did make in this game happened to be a clutch three in the last five minutes of the game. Um, to I think maybe extend the lead or take the lead, whichever one it was. But it was a big time three in crunch time, and and he needed it, like he needed it. And so I, my thing with it is just like when Giannis is shooting threes, it relaxes the Brooklyn Nets defense and it bails out the Brooklyn Nets defense because it does not make them work. And a lot of times, more often times than not, when Giannis is shooting a three, it's literally at the beginning of the shot clock, like not even eight seconds into the shot clock, Giannis is going to bring the ball off the court and jack up a three-point shot. And I just don't like him doing that because, again, you're not putting any pressure on Brooklyn's defense. But, again, I, you got to give him credit for hitting that big-time one down the stretch. Um, and, yeah, it was just 
it was a weird game. You know, Chris Middleton had a big time game. He had 35 points and 15 rebounds. He was honestly the reason that the Bucks won this game. Giannis played decent. He had 33 points. Again, shot one of eight from the three-point line. And Drew Holiday struggled, but he did ultimately end up hitting the game-winning shot, which was pretty crazy because I thought Mike Budenholzer was going to call a timeout because they had the ball, I think, with probably like 10 seconds left in the game. And he just said, forget it. He put the ball in Drew's hands, and Drew just went coast-to-coast. He had a nice spin move. I think it was on Bruce Brown. And then he had a layup with his left hand, scored it, and that ultimately ended up being the game-winner. And the final score to this game was 86-83. to Think about that. How many times... Are the Brooklyn Nets only going to be held to 80 plus points in a game? That's a rarity. More often times than not, they're scoring 100 plus points at least. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, the Bucks did a good job. It was one of them games where, you know, KD and Kyrie struggled and the Brooklyn Nets just struggled as a whole. And it looked like still like that the Nets were still the dominant team in this series. And so in game four, which is where things got really interesting, man, oh man, Kyrie Irving, before this dude got hurt, he was put on a show. Like, <laughs> he was cooking. Like, he had a couple big-time moves. He had a move where, you know, Bruce Brown took the ball baseline. He got cut off by Brooke Lopez. And so he gave the ball to Kyrie off a handoff, and Kyrie just floated to the corner. And he took a contested jumper over Brooke Lopez, Andrew Hade, and hit nothing but net. Kyrie had another play on the fast break where he threw a bounce pass to Landry Shamit on the open floor for an easy layup. He was cooking, and to end the first quarter, he had a nasty move. They tried to throw Giannis's brother out there on the switch and Kyrie got him on the switch and Kyrie did a pullback and Giannis's brother I think his name is Thanasis he fell but Kyrie missed the shot but if Kyrie would have made the shot man that would have been one of the top plays on his career highlight mixtape but either way you know Kyrie was playing sensational and both teams were actually playing really well like again the Bucks were struggling or have been struggling from the three-point line for majority of this series and yesterday, they came alive. Like, P.J. Tucker had a couple big-time threes. You know, Brooke Lopez had two threes. I think Pat Content had a couple threes. Brent Forrest finally got going in this series. They started to finally hit their shots. And when the Bucks hit their shots, it makes life so much easier for guys like Drew Holiday, for guys like Chris Middleton, and especially for Giannis because that way, the defense of the Brooklyn Nets has to stay honest. You can't just throw two to three different guys on Giannis and expect him, you know, to miss the layup. You you can actually kick it out and hope and, and for sure bet on your guys making threes. And that's big for them because they need those three-point shots to fall because you have to be able to keep up with the scoring that the Brooklyn Nets have. You have to. And so it sucks because Kyrie got hurt when I think about like six or seven minutes left in the first half. And it was nasty, man. I'm, I was so mad that ESPN kept replaying the injury because his ankle literally touched the floor. You know, he went up for a layup. He made a cut wide open in the paint, went up for a layup, and Giannis just happened to invade his landing space. And I don't think it was a dirty play by Giannis. I just think Giannis should know better than to just get under him like that. Like, I don't think he intentionally did that. But, like, come on, Giannis, you got to allow him to land, dude. Like, get away from him. Like, you can contest a shot even though he had no chance of contesting it because Kyrie made a beautiful cut and was wide open. But you can't just get under his landing space like that. That's exactly how injuries like that happen. I remember, I can't even remember the year it was, but they started calling stuff like that a flagrant foul because it happened to Kobe. And I'll never forget, it was in Atlanta. I don't remember who exactly the defender was, but Kobe rose up for a mid-range pull-up on the baseline on the right side 
and some dude just invaded his landing space and Kobe was pissed because his ankle turned and he played through the rest of the game but it's just like you got to give the offensive players that room to land when you're taking a shot you know some guys you know they move forward after they shoot the ball you know some guys they go straight up straight up straight down so it's just like you have to give those guys that space and I know Giannis didn't intensely mean to do it but it's just unfortunate because this honestly tilts the scales in favor of the Milwaukee Bucks now. Like, it looked like clearly the Brooklyn Nets were going to advance in this series after the first two games. And now, you know, Giannis had a big-time game in this game. He was hooping. Like, he was playing actually really well. Giannis, I think he finished with, I believe, 34 points and 12 rebounds. And they got contributions from pretty much everyone else. And Chris Middleton played well again. He didn't have another 30-point game, but he had 19 points on 7 of 15 shooting. So that's a very efficient night for Chris Middleton. If they can get that consistency out of Chris Middleton, and especially Drew, I think Drew had, like, almost double-digit assist. So if you can get those from your star players... You're going to compete with them every single night. And I know Kevin Durant struggled. I'm not going to lie. Like, after Kyrie got hurt, and especially in the second half of the game, you could just feel that the Bucks were going to win the game. Like, it was obvious. Like, Kevin Durant just couldn't do it by himself in the moment. It just looked like it was too much because the Brooklyn Nets offense is heavily based on isolation basketball. And rightfully so, when you have three of the best scorers of this generation, you're going to run a lot of isolation. But when you only have one of those guys available and actually on the court playing, it's hard to do that because the entire Bucks defense is now only really focused on Kevin Durant. Like, yes, you have to respect guys like Joe Harris and Landry Shamit and Mike James and different guys, Jeff Green, but that's Kevin Durant. You got to give your attention and focus to Kevin Durant because if you let Kevin Durant get going, more oftentimes than not, you're going to lose that game. And that's exactly what happened. Like, P.J. Tucker played phenomenal defense on Kevin Durant yesterday and honestly for majority of the series he's played pretty good defense on KD and PJ Tucker unlike most players in the league has actually played against KD for a very long time they both went to the University of Texas I don't think they played there at the same time but they have that relationship and so they're actually really good friends and PJ Tucker has been guarding KD for a very long time even going back a couple years ago when both of them were in the Western Conference Finals when PJ was with Houston and when KD was with Golden State you know what I'm saying so they have that you know they have that them battles they've been in the trenches together playing against one another for a very very long time and so that's all it really came down to like KD did a really good job of keeping the Nets in the game but it just always felt like the Bucks just kept the lead at like 12 to 13 points and that the Nets just couldn't cut into the deficit whatsoever so the final score ended up being 107 to 96 in favor of the Bucks. The series is now tied at two games apiece. Game five is going to be interesting. And I've been seeing a lot of commotion and chatter about can Kevin Durant beat the Milwaukee Bucks by just himself? And the answer is yes and no. I'm going to say yes and no because yes, KD is great enough to beat them without Kyrie and James Harden. But no, I don't know why people even think this. No player has ever won a playoff series by themselves winning a playoff series is a team contribution it's a team effort basketball is a team sport i don't know how many times i've said that on this podcast but i should get it trademarked for real even though it should just be a common saying and common knowledge at this point but i do think that without Kyrie and james harden kevin durant can get the job done if he can just do it right and I think the biggest thing, the adjustments wise for going into game five and maybe even the rest of the series, because I did hear that sadly Kyrie is in a walking boot and he left the arena yesterday in crutches. So we're praying for a speedy recovery for Kyrie. But the keys, it's going to start with Steve Nash. And the first thing is you cannot rely on isolation basketball 
to get the job done when you only have Kevin Durant. Like, yes, you can still run some isolation plays for KD here and there, but you're going to have to run some actions to free him up or to free up guys like Landry Shamit and Joe Harris. And that's the next thing. Joe Harris has got to step up to the plate. Joe Harris is one of the best shooters in the league, but he's been struggling a lot in this series so far. Like in game three, if Joe Harris would have hit like two of his shots throughout the course of that game, the Brooklyn Nets would have won and they would have been up 3-1 right now instead of being tied 2-2. Like I know a lot of people like to put the blame on Bruce Brown in game three, but honestly, like in game three, like first of all, Bruce Brown off the pick and roll was deadly and he kept the Nets in the game. And second of all, that last play where he decided to take the layup, it was a broken play. I, I could tell that the play was actually for Kyrie, but Blake Griffin threw a bad pass, and so the rhythm was messed up, and Kyrie tried to get the ball, but he was too close to the sidelines that he would have risked potentially being out of bounds and risk a turnover. So Bruce Brown just said, forget it, I'm going to attack. And so that's what happened, but I'm not going to put the blame on Bruce Brown for that. But again, for game five, the Nets need Joe Harris to step up, they're going to need Landry Shamit to step up. They're going to need Mike James to just play solid, to just be a solid point guard. You know, attack when the opportunities are there. You know, find your teammates when the opportunities are there. Just be a stable point guard. But if you're Steve Nash, if you're Mike D'Antoni, all those guys right now need to do a lot of film. And they need to start looking up actions to run for this team. Because, again, they rely heavily on isolation. But when you do that... You're tiring out Kevin Durant, and you don't want KD to be tired out by the fourth quarter. You know why? Because you're going to need KD to be your main scorer in the fourth quarter. You're going to need him to be the main scorer in pretty much every quarter, but you know maybe if you can get a big-time quarter out of Joe Harris, that's a win. But especially in that fourth quarter, because the fourth quarter is where the game gets a lot tighter. The referees, they swallow their whistle, different things like that. KD needs to have as much energy as possible so he can display it in the fourth quarter to rise up to the occasion and get the job done. Like I firmly believe that Kevin Durant is the greatest scorer the game of basketball has ever had. And so with that being said, I believe he can get the job done. But it's going to take at least a 30-plus point performance. You're going to need Joe Harris to step up. The defense has to stay locked in. You're going to need Blake Griffin to make any opportunity that he can get inside the paint. You're going to need your shooters to all be ready, but specifically Joe Harris. But... KD just has to be KD. Like he's got to go back into his bag and just go crazy because nobody on the Milwaukee Bucks can guard him. Nobody in the league, in the history of the league, has been able to guard him. Ever since he's been in the league, it's been nobody that can truly stop Kevin Durant. It's never happened. The only person that can stop Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant himself. And that's exactly what he did in game three. But it's not over. Like this series, I know, you know, it sucks because of the Kyrie injury. It's a chance that Kyrie might not come back. It's a chance that he does come back. You know, we'll see. I'm praying that he can. But if he can't, then Kevin Durant has to show us how great he is. And I believe in KD. I truly believe in KD. That's why I say they have a chance. Like, this is not just, you know, in the Milwaukee Bucks' favor. It kind of does play into their favor because their defense, you know, it gets a little bit easier because you don't have to worry about Kyrie. You can just put all your attention into KD. But KD is great enough. I, I, I firmly believe that he has the scoring ability. He's been doing this for a very long time. But you just got to put him in different situations. Sometimes you got to post him up. Sometimes you got to run him off screen, like double screens, and get him into the mid-range and just let him pull up. Sometimes you got to throw a back screen for him, a flare screen. Give him little opportunities to just get a little bit of an opening to be successful. And KD's going to take advantage. But again, it's going to come down to the guys like Landry Shamit, like Bruce Brown, like Mike James, like Joe Harris, those guys, especially Joe Harris, has to step up. But if you're the Bucks, you should kind of be feeling good. Going back to Brooklyn for Game 5, 
all you got to do is play your game. You know, Drew Holiday, with Kyrie being out, Drew Holiday looked much more aggressive. Like, he was going into the paint and posting up Mike James, and he was having no problems getting easy buckets. So if that trend continues, then Steve Nash is going to have to make some big-time adjustments on the defensive end. But I do think getting Jeff Green back kind of helps them a little bit. He looked a little bit rusty um, yesterday's in yesterday's game, which is kind of, you know, obvious. That's, that's what happens when you miss a certain amount of games. But if he can get back into the flow of things, that's going to be big. So I do believe in Brooklyn, but KD got to be KD. That's all it comes down to. If he's not going to be KD, then the Nets are going to lose. But if he turns into the dude that I believe he is, and, you know, they're going to win. Like, they're they're right there. Like, again, they have no answers. The Bucks that is, they have no answers for Kevin Durant. If KD can just be the great that we know he is to be, who I believe is the greatest scorer ever, the Nets are going to win. I firmly believe that, man. But tonight we got a couple games. Game fours. First one we got Philly in Atlanta for game four. You know, Philly took the 2-1 lead. They dominated in game three. Ben Simmons had a big-time performance. He was killing John Collins. Um, I think I'm going to take Atlanta in this game just because I know, again, Philly dominated in game three. But I think if the Hawks can just get Trey Young to be the point guard that he is, because Ben Simmons did a good job of guarding him too. I wouldn't say he shut him down, but he definitely contained him enough to where Philly could just blow up in the lead and get the win. But if Trey can just get easier opportunities and get into the lane a little bit more and be more aggressive, and the Hawks should win this game. Like, I, I firmly believe that. I know Embiid was playing well, and it's honestly crazy because it doesn't even seem like or feel like that Embiid is actually playing on a meniscus tear. And honestly, I kind of think that's a lie right now because he's playing that great. But you just need Trey to be Trey. Like, honestly, like, you just need Trey to just be the point guard that he is and find his open teammates. He did that for a little bit in the first quarter. But after that, it was just like he was only fo- focused on scoring because the defense made him a score. They, they would not let him become a playmaker. And they had a lot of turnovers, too, that cost him in, like, the first and second quarters. And that's honestly how Philly blew up in that game. But Atlanta is still alive and well in this series. I know DeAndre Hunter is hurt. I know Cam Reddish is still hurt. So they, they don't really have any guys to throw out Tobias Harris. But for the most part, Atlanta is still right there. They just got to slow down, you know, mature a little bit and just take what the defense gives them, and they can win this game. Now, another game for tonight is between the Utah Jazz and the Clippers, where Utah will actually be playing at Staples Center for game four. And in game three, man, Paul George and Kawhi just dominated. They just took it personal. They played lockdown defense. They just turned off the pipes, turned off the water of the Utah Jazz, and they got the job done. And now, I'm going to take the Clippers again. I do think, you know, Ty Lue, I got to give a lot of credit and praise to Ty Lue, man, because he's so good at making adjustments, at benching players, at starting players, at throwing guys that haven't played in a little bit into the game. Like, he just knows what it takes to win. Like, remember, this is the same dude that was the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers when they came back from a 3-1 deficit in 2016. Like, Ty Lue was like that. And don't forget, just the last round, they were down two games to none. You know what I'm saying? So Ty Lue knows what he's doing. I I know a lot of people don't like the Clippers or don't respect the Clippers, but Ty Lue is an excellent head coach. And I think the Clippers are going to tie up that series. And I still have the Clippers in six. Now, it's going to be hard for them to win the next three games, which they're probably going to have to do if they want to win in six. But I think they are capable of doing that. So I don't know. You know, Donovan Mitchell could have a good game. But I'm going to take the Clippers to win in tonight's game four between them in the jazz man but as always i appreciate you guys have a beautiful and you know great rest of your week um as always you know shout out to nuts and bolts sports i'm a college basketball writer slash blogger slash journalist 
Featured alongside a whole bunch of other really talented writer slash blogger slash journalists, we are at Nuts and Bolts SP on both Twitter and Instagram, so please go follow us. Go like our stuff for all your sports news and needs. I promise you Nuts and Bolts Sports has it all for you guys. I am also featured on Nuts and Bolts Sports Podcast Network alongside a whole bunch of other really talented content creators and sports podcast hosts, so please go check us out on our long list of great sports podcasts, man. And as always, I appreciate you guys for making this far, man. This has been another episode of the Kevo Bands Hoops Podcast. Please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, and share. And if you listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rate and review. That is how we share and grow the podcast. As always, peace and love gone.